Good morning, everyone. It's time for another edition of Transformation Radio. Go Say what? Like we was 
yourself to sack yourself and walk in fear. Scriptures like a man and two closer than it appears. It's time for our reading in the New Testament, and today it will be from the book of Mark, chapter two, verse thirteen. We'll read through to chapter three, and verse six. Let's take a look at what we'll be reading about today, to shed a little light of understanding on it. Levi, as mentioned in Scripture, is another name for Matthew, the disciple who wrote the Gospel of Matthew. Capernaum was a key military center for Roman troops, as well as a thriving business community. Several major highways intersected in Capernaum, with merchants passing through from as far away as Egypt to the south, and Mesopotamia to the north. Levi, or Matthew, a Jew, worked for the Romans as the area's tax collector, collecting taxes from citizens as well as from merchants passing through town. Tax collectors were expected to take a commission on the taxes they collected. Most of them overcharged and vastly enriched themselves. Tax collectors were despised by the Jews because of their reputation for cheating and their support of Rome. Well, John the Baptist had two goals: to lead people to repent of their sin and to prepare them for Christ's coming. John's message was sobering, so he and his followers fasted. Fasting is both an outward sign of humility and regret for sin, and an inner discipline that clears the mind and keeps the spirit alert. Fasting empties the body of food. Repentance empties the life of sin. Jesus's disciples did not need to fast to prepare for his coming because he was already with them. Jesus did not condemn fasting; however, he himself fasted for forty days. Nevertheless, Jesus emphasized fasting with the right motives. The Pharisees fasted twice a week to show others how holy they were. Jesus explained that if people fast only to impress others, Well, they'd be twisting the purpose of fasting. Jesus compared himself to a groom. In the Bible, the image of a bride is often used for God's people, and the image of a groom for the God who loves them. All right, with that, let's begin our reading today here in the New Testament. February seventeenth, the New Testament, Mark chapter two, verse thirteen, through chapter three, verse six. Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. "Follow me and be my disciple," Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, "Why does he eat with such scum?" 
When Jesus heard this, he told them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Once when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, some people came to Jesus and asked, Why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees do? Jesus replied, Do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them, but some day the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the wine would burst the wineskins, and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, Haven't you ever read in the Scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God, during the days when Abiathar was high priest, and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even over the Sabbath. Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand, since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, Come and stand in front of every one. Then he turned to his critics and asked, Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or destroy it? but they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, Hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was restored. At once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. Psalm 36, verses 1-12 through 12. Now we'll see that because the wicked have no fear of God, nothing restrains them from sinning. They plunge ahead as if nothing's going to happen to them. But God is just and is only delaying their punishment. This knowledge should hold us back from sinning. Let the fear of God do its work in you to keep you from sin. In your gratitude to God's love and mercy, don't ignore His justice. Now in contrast to evil people and their wicked plots that end in failure, God will triumph. He's faithful, righteous, and just. His love is as vast as the heavens. His faithfulness reaches beyond the clouds. His righteousness is as solid as mighty mountains. His judgments are as full of wisdom as the oceans are with water. We need not fear evil people because we know God loves us, judges evil, and will care for us throughout eternity. 
The term Fountain of Life is a vivid image of fresh cleansing water that gives life to the spiritually thirsty. This same picture is used over in Jeremiah 2 where God is called the Fountain of Living Water. Jesus spoke of Himself as living water that could quench thirst forever and give eternal life. Psalm 36, verses 1-12 through 12, For the choir director, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord. Sin whispers to the wicked deep within their hearts. They have no fear of God at all. In their blind conceit, they cannot see how wicked they really are. Everything they say is crooked and deceitful. They refuse to act wisely or do good. They lie awake at night, hatching sinful plots. Their actions are never good. They make no attempt to turn from evil. Your unfailing love, O Lord, is as vast as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches beyond the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your justice like the ocean depths. You care for people and animals alike, O Lord. How precious is your unfailing love, O God! All humanity finds shelter in the shadow of your wings. You feed them from the abundance of your own house, letting them drink from your river of delights. For you are the fountain of life, the light by which we see. Pour out your unfailing love on those who love you. Give justice to those with honest hearts. Don't let the proud trample me or the wicked push me around. Look, those who do evil have fallen. They are thrown down, never to rise again. Proverbs chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise child brings joy to a father. A foolish child brings grief to a mother. Tainted wealth has no lasting value, but right living can save your life. Thank you. 
My name is Cody Thorpe. Uh, a little over a year ago, I entered the refuge, really not knowing who God was or how awesome His love was, until one day I just uh, submitted to God and asked Him to come in my life, change my heart, my attitude, my way of thinking, just change everything and uh, guide me. Um, started getting into my head a little bit later on down the road, uh, missing my family and stuff, and they uh, offered for me to come back when I hit third phase. Everybody in the family was getting along real well, and I knew that was God. And uh, went home about two and a half months. I was doing the right things, but I, I slowly uh, started recognizing that I wasn't staying connected to any church groups or anything. And right after that, I just felt bad for myself, and I missed the brotherhood, and I fell. And started to go downhill real fast. And I knew in my heart at the time that I needed to come back to the refuge and God guided me back to the refuge and picked me up and allowed me to start walking again when I returned back to the refuge. Um, this time around, I can say that my obedience is better than it was last time. I'm not quick to judge others. I'm starting to see my flaws in life, and He is uh, comforting me to the right things in life and uh, giving me the faith that you know, I, uh, He can do anything in my life and make me the man that I will be one of these days. And uh, His love He has put through me is uh, so strong that it's allowing me to love others around me and uh, be there for another guy that's struggling in the right way. Instead of me speaking what I think's right around this time, He is speaking to me and telling me when to listen and when to talk. So that's a huge change for me. And uh, just getting out all those bad things that's happened in my life as a kid and allowing... Him allowing me to speak that to another human has just set me free. And they, they say in the Bible, <clears throat> who sets his son free is free indeed. And I truly believe that today. And uh, I would never imagine I'm this far along in only 30 days with just letting all that stuff out. And I encourage anybody to do the same thing that hasn't done that yet. And you'll really experience uh, who God really is. And you'll really start to develop that relationship. And that's all I got to say. Coming all the way live from Veritas Church, this is Dustin Grannon on the scenes. I just want to give a couple affirmations today. Um, first was uh, to Tony Kimbler. Um, 
Man, you're a good dude, bro. I really appreciate having you on my team. I've really appreciated being able to get to know you. You got a servant's heart. You're always just helping people, man, and never expect anything in return. Never expect to be recognized. And uh, I just, uh, you know, I'm honored to call you my friend. And uh, my second affirmation I want to give today is uh, Phil Parker. Uh, it's your last week here in second phase. Um, I really appreciate you get to know you. You helped me out a lot. Um, you're my boy, boy. But uh, thank you, Phil. Thank you for everything you've done to this ministry. I really appreciate you. And, um, you know, my prayer for you is that maybe God bless you and wherever you go, that the Spirit just continue to lead you and you just be a good guy. Thank you, guys. This is Doug from Phase 2. Today's devotional is Out of Experiencing God. It's called Encounters with God or God-Sized. God is interested in the world's coming to know him. The only way people will know what God is like is to see him at work in their world. They will know his nature when they see it expressed in his activity. Whenever God involves you in his activity, the assignment will have God-like dimensions to it. Some people say God will never ask me to do something that's impossible. On the contrary, if the assignment I sense God is giving me is something I know I can handle on my own, I assume it probably is not from God. The assignments God gave in the Bible were always God-sized. They were always beyond what people could do in their strength because he wanted to demonstrate his nature, his strength, his provision, and his love to his people into a watching world. That is the only way the world will come to know him. You could name many God-sized assignments in Scripture. God told Abraham to father a nation when Abraham had no son, and Sarah was past childbearing age. He told Moses to deliver the children of Israel, to cross the Red Sea, and to provide water from a rock. He told Gideon to defeat the giant Midianite army with only 300 men. Jesus told the disciples to feed the multitudes and to make disciples of all nations. None of these things were humanly possible. When people see something happen that only God can do, they come to know God. God told Moses to lead the Israelites to camp beside the Red Sea. God knew he was going to deliver them by dividing the sea and letting them cross on dry ground. He said, I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And what was the result? When the Israelites saw the great power of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him. God commanded Joshua to lead the Israelites across the Jordan River at flood stage. Why? He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful, and so that you, Israel, might always fear the Lord, your God. A vast army came to attack Israel. King Jehoshaphat proclaimed a fast and led the people to seek God's counsel. He prayed, O our God, we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. God responded, Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, 
and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Jehoshaphat sent a choir in front of the army singing praise to God for his enduring love. God destroyed the invading army before Jehoshaphat and Israel even got to the battlefield. Then the fear of God came upon all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego chose to obey God rather than King Nebuchadnezzar. Before being thrown into a blazing furnace, they said, The God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand. The soldiers holding them captive died, but God delivered these three faithful men. King Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. This pagan king wrote to the whole nation, It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. When Christians in the early church followed the directions of the Holy Spirit, God impacted their world. The disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in foreign languages they had not even learned. Then Peter preached. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. God used Peter and John to heal a crippled beggar in the name of Jesus. They preached, and many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. God used Peter to raise Dorcas from the dead. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. What our world often witnesses today is a devoted, committed Christian or church serving God, but they are not seeing, but they are not seeing God. They don't see anything happening that can be explained only in terms of God's activity. Why? Because we are not attempting anything that only God can do. Our world is not being attracted to the Christ we serve because they are not seeing him at work in our lives. They see us doing good things for God and comment, That's nice, but that's not my thing. The world is passing us by because they do not want to get involved in what they see in our everyday lives. We are not giving them opportunities to encounter God. They are seeing only us. Let the world w watch God at work, and he will attract people to himself. Let Christ be lifted up, not in words, but in life. Let people see the difference the, the living Christ makes in a life, a family, or a church that will affect how they respond to the gospel. When the world sees things happening through God's people that cannot be explained except that God himself has done them, the world will be drawn to God. Since you felt like you were loved So what went wrong But do you know There's a place where you belong Here in my 
This concludes today's broadcast. I pray that everyone who tuned in today was blessed by what they heard, and I hope you all have a wonderful day.